The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. Uh, well, it is uh, great to be back with y'all. For those of you who don't know, I was uh, on vacation the last couple of weeks. I only missed one Sunday, but, uh, but was gone really for, for two weeks. And so I missed y'all very much, and it's good to see your smiling faces again. And uh, I had a, a great vacation with my family. And, and I got to be honest, this may come as a shock to some of you, but like, I don't, I don't relax very well, right? Like I'm kind of an intense guy. And, uh, and so uh, I was a little nervous going into vacation, because that makes sense. And, uh, and, and, but as we were going out, people would just like wish us well and say, hey, you know, Pastor, have a, have a great vacation. We hope it's, it's really restful for you. And, and I know people were, were praying for us. I know people picked up a bunch of extra slack for my wife Melissa and I while we were gone. And so I just want to say thank you so much uh, for doing that. It, it made it a lot easier to just like lay low and sit in the hot tub and just uh, let things be. So thanks, thanks for doing that while we were gone. And we're just glad to be back. Um, and so now we're back. We're, we're in the midst of a series called Accidental Pharisees. And, and in this series, we've been exploring... What are the ways in which, perhaps out of a, an, an attempt to, to pursue God, uh, we actually end up missing him? Perhaps out of a sincere intent uh, to pursue God, we actually miss out on what God has actually called us to and the way he's called us to live. And so uh, we've explored a few ways we do this, that we looked at uh, pride and exclusivity. And uh, last week, my, my former intramural flag football teammate uh, from seminary, uh, the Fighting Elisha Shebears, uh, Ted, the Iceman Daring, was here, and uh, he, he talked about legalism. And so uh, if, you, if you missed that, like I did, it's up on our website on podcast. You can check it out. But today we're going to look at idolizing the past. How does idolizing the past make us Pharisees? And so I was thinking about that. I'm like, all right, so making an idol of the past, like how do we do that as a church? How does our church do that as I was doing my message prep? And I realized, like, if you count from when we started public worship, Like, our church isn't even a year old, right? So it's not like we have a past to idolize, you know? No one's saying, like, remember when it was 20 of us crammed in a hot living room? Let's go back to those days. You know, like, it's it's just not happening, right? So so we're a young church. We don't really have a a past of our own to idolize. And then even as as individuals, our our church is made up of of relatively young people. And uh, some of you may say, well, you know, I'm not... I'm not that young, but even if you're not, you're, you're young at heart, uh, those of you that I know. Uh, for example, if you don't believe me, uh, I have raced down a volcano in Guatemala with Grace Huey, and I have photographic evidence of it. So, so those that perhaps aren't as uh, young in age are young at heart at our church. And so I thought, man, maybe, maybe we don't have an issue with idolizing the past, and so maybe we should just end the sermon here right now. But we won't, because you're not that lucky. Uh, right, I haven't preached for a whole week. I got a lot I've got to say. So um, I came up with something. And, uh, and the reality is we, we all idolize the past. In one way or another, we, we all find a way to idolize the past. And, and so we say, well, what do you mean, Gabe? How does that work? Well, first, let's break down what it is to idolize something. Okay? So the, the root there is idolatry. And idolatry is a theme we see throughout Scripture, right? And uh, we know, you know a narrow definition of it for, for people in ancient times was to, to bow down before like a statue or an object, a, a deity that wasn't the true creator God. But scripture actually paints a much broader picture for idolatry. If we were to look at the whole of scripture and what it says about idolatry, it says finding your identity, your worth, and your purpose in anything else but the true God is idolatry. That the picture of idolatry that scripture paints is finding your identity, 
your worth and your purpose in anything else but the true God is idolatry. And so we idolize the past if instead of finding our identity, worth, and purpose in God, we find it in the past. And so what we see in our text actually is that this woman at the well that, that Jesus has this conversation with, we see that, that she idolizes the past. That she's found her identity and her worth and her purpose in her past, in her history, instead of who God has said she is, instead of finding it in the true God. But we see at the end of their conversation, Jesus shows her how the gospel actually transforms her past, how the gospel actually transforms her so that she can truly find her identity, her worth, and her purpose in the God that has called her to be his. And that's my hope for us this morning, that we'd see that in our lives. So let's get started. Uh, Look with me at verses 3 through 10 in our text. It says this, uh, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was, was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. All right, so, so Jesus is, is on the move and he passes through a, a region of Israel called Samaria and he stops by a well to get a drink from a Samaritan woman and, and this woman stops by too. And Jesus asks her for a drink of water and then things get interesting, right? Instead of just saying, sure, here you go, have a drink of water. She says, whoa, how is it that, that you, a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink of water? How is it that you're doing that? And then the gospel writer John fills us in. And he says, Jews and, and Samaritans have no dealings with each other. They don't like each other. And so what John's trying to show us is that this woman didn't give a drink to Jesus for no other reason than the fact that he was a Jew and she was a Samaritan. And we say, okay. Why is that the case? Why did Jews and Samaritans not like each other? Well, it starts 950 years earlier. In 950 BC, uh, the the kingdom of Israel split into two. There's the north and the south. And and when that happened, over the course of about 150 years, uh, they had two different worship sites, one in the south, one in the north. And so their, their worship style started to change. Their theology started to shift a little bit. And their identity as a united nation uh, became kind of two separate identities. And then what happened around uh, 800 BC is the Assyrian Empire came and took over uh, the nation of Israel, both the north and the south. And while it was, you know, problematic, of course, to be taken over by another empire, it actually united the nation of Israel to have more of one identity together. But what happened is there was a couple tribes in the north in a region called Samaria that said, hey, you know, it was 150 years where we started worshiping differently and we had a little bit different theology. We kind of liked how that was working, and so we're going to stay with that. And so that's the Samaritans. So they kept doing that. And then they did the most scandalous thing of all, is they married, they intermarried with the Assyrians who conquered them. And that was a big no-no in, uh, in ancient Judaism. So what happened is, is that the Jewish folks would say, hey, you guys are half-breeds, you've, you've intermarried with people that aren't us, and so you guys aren't, aren't worthy to be the people of God anymore. And the Samaritans, of course, feeling that hate, would then hate them back. And so for over the course of 800 years, there's this hatred that gets built up between these two people groups. 
And so this is kind of the background as Jesus and this woman are, are sitting at this well. And so when this woman doesn't give Jesus a drink and is shocked that he's even talking to her, we see that her identity, who she is, she's basing it on an 800-year-old uh, hatred. Now that's idolizing the past, right? She says, hey, I'm a Samaritan. I can't even talk to you. 800 years ago, my daddy didn't like your daddy, and so we can't be friends, right? That's idolizing the past. Her, her identity is so bound up in the past that she can't see that Jesus, the Messiah, the healer of the nations, is sitting right next to her, sitting right next to her. And I wonder if we do this too. Like, I wonder if we sometimes find our identity in the past, we idolize the past so much that we miss the blessings that God has right in front of us right now. I wonder if we do this too. So, uh, as I mentioned, I was on vacation for the last two weeks and we went swimming a lot. And I took my year and a half old son, uh, Titus, swimming like every day. And uh, I don't know if you've ever swam with a toddler. Uh, but it's pretty generous to call it swimming, right? It's, uh, it's mostly just like trying to keep them alive. Like that's, that's the bottom line. And, uh, and in particular for Titus, he had this thing where like whatever he saw anyone else do, like he wanted to do it, uh, regardless of whether or not he was capable of, of doing it. And so if he saw someone go underwater, he'd like stick his head under the water and, you know, come up coughing, laugh about it, and then try to do it again, you know? And... Um, and then he'd see someone jump off the ledge, and he's like, oh, I'm going to jump off the ledge. But he can't jump, so he just kind of walks until gravity does its thing. You know? And so, uh, so I'm there, and I'm watching him. And all this is kind of cute in theory, but if you're the one that's trying to keep this kid alive, like, it's exhausting, right? And so I remember, like, one point, I'm like, saved him yet again. Uh, no thank you. And, um, and, and I started thinking, ah, oh, remember the days when you went on vacation without a toddler, right? Remember those days. So good. You slept in, stayed out late, read a lot. Those were the days. Now, I tell you that, there's nothing wrong with a little nostalgia, right? But you see how if, if that train of thinking was my constant train of thinking, if I didn't think, thank God for this son, thank you that I get to show this world to him. But instead my thought was, I got to get back to those days when I was free. You see how destructive that could be. That if everything you do is aimed at returning to some sort of glory days, you see what a mess that can create. That instead of recognizing the blessings that, that God has in front of you right now, or instead of facing the current challenges that God has in front of you right now and growing through them, if you end up just facing the rearview mirror the whole time, it's not good. It's not good. But this happens to us in all sorts of ways, right? Instead of uh, pursuing your spouse and saying, Oh, how, what, what can we do to make our love grow and to grow closer and closer to one another? You spend your time lamenting over the passion you used to have and wonder where it went instead of trying to make it happen now. Or instead of being grateful for the work you have now, you look back on your old job and say, oh, things were so much better then. Or you look back on college and say, oh, things were so much better then. Why can't I just go back there now instead of being grateful that God has given you this work here? Or instead of celebrating what a blessing it is to have children, to show the world to you spend your time mourning the fact that you don't have any freedom anymore. Or instead of serving those in need and working for uh, the positive change in, in our community, you spend your time complaining about why this country and this culture isn't what it used to be, right? The list could go on and on. And these are all forms of idolizing the past. All forms of idolizing the past. 
There are ways that we find our identity in the past instead of who God has called us to be. And we see that the woman does this, but we also see that this woman at the well finds not only her identity bound up in the past, but she finds her worth and her value tied up in the past as well. If you all would look with me at verses 16 through 18. It says this, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Now what's Jesus doing here? Oftentimes people think Jesus is like bringing up these uh, five, the fact that this woman's been divorced five times and he's just trying to rub it in her face and just trying to make her feel really bad. Uh, that's not actually what's going on because the deal is in those times, like women didn't divorce their husbands. Like legally it couldn't happen. So really what's happened is this woman has been left five times. That, uh, that men have chosen to leave her five times. And so Jesus is bringing up this, this really painful past. Now why is he doing that and why would these guys leave her? Well, scripture doesn't tell us, so I can't say definitively. Uh, my guess is though, given the culture of that time, it was probably because she was barren. Probably because she wasn't able to have kids. And so a guy would be like, well, my line's not being extended through you, so I'll move on to the next gal. And so, so here's this woman who's, who's been left five times and is now living with a guy who apparently won't commit to her. So this woman finds her worth in her past. And we see this in a couple ways. First of all, the gospel writer John shows us in verse 6, I don't have it up here right now, I don't think, no. But in verse 6, it says that, that she is at the well at the sixth hour. And the sixth hour, most of us uh, in our time, we'd call it uh, noon. Okay, so she's there at noon. Most of the time in that culture, uh, the young women would go out of the village and they'd fill up their water jugs for their family for the day early in the morning. It's kind of a community thing. They'd go out six or seven or seven or eight in the morning, fill up their water jugs and take it all back. This woman waits all the way till noon before she goes out to get water. Why is that? Because she's not accepted by that community. Because she's, she's not part of that, that group of women. And why is that? Probably because she's this lady who's been left five times and can't have kids. And so she doesn't feel welcomed. She doesn't feel a part of that community. Secondly, though, John, sees, or John points out to us that she finds her worth in her past when he points out that, that she's living with this guy uh, who, who's not committing to her, who's not going to get married to her, which was culturally almost inconceivable at this time. So in other words, what we see in this text is that this woman's worth and value are so dictated by her past that she avoids the other women of her community and that she lives in open guilt with the only man who will take her. She stays with a guy who won't stick with her. Now, do you see, this is a subtle form of idolizing the past. It's subtle. But do you see how it works? That instead of letting the God of the universe dictate your value and your worth, you allow your past to say who you are forever. And for some of you, this may be where you're at, like right now. That you've resigned yourself to forever be the person who did that thing or had that thing happen to them, right? You're the guy who just didn't make the cut. Or you're the kid who grew up from that home that wasn't so great. Or you're the woman who got a divorce. That's forever who you are. The scarlet A is there. Or you're the person who is never quite smart enough or good enough or athletic enough or attractive enough or whatever it is. And because of this, you, like the woman at the well, place your worth and your value in your past 
instead of letting God give you worth and value. Instead of trusting in what he says about you. And that's idolatry. It's idolatry. Finding your identity, your worth, and purpose in anything else but God is idolatry. Look with me at the next couple verses. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So I love this part of the text because Jesus brings up this uh, woman's relationship history and her uh, current living situation. And she's like, uh, let's not get too personal, Jesus, right? Like, why don't you stay out of the bedroom? Let's talk about like anything else. Uh, What's an easier topic than that? Religion, let's go there. And so, so that's what she does. She says, now my answers think we should worship on this mountain and, and your folks say that we should worship in Jerusalem. What's the right answer? Now we see what she's doing there. Instead of walking through her struggles, instead of facing what's in front of her right now, figuring out what God's purpose is for her right now, she uses the past, she chooses to dwell on the past in order to avoid her problems, in order to wrestle with the real issues. When we use the past to avoid having to wrestle with our current issues, we turn it into an idol. And this is a form of of idolizing the past that's very common if you've been a part of the church for like your whole life. Uh, This happens in two ways. First of all, it happens in the church at large. And then also happens in the lives of of individual Christians who have perhaps been part of the church for a long time. Uh, So here's what I mean. In the church at large, we idolize the past when we do things like this. When we say, oh, well, we, we worship that way because... That's the way we've always worshipped, and so that makes it right. So, okay. Well, does you know, God's word say we have to do things that way? No, but we've just always done it that way, and so that's how we have to do it. Now, what's happening then? That's the past trumping what God said. Right? When, when, when anything other than God decides our purpose... It's idolatry. And don't get me wrong, of course, uh, we appreciate letting the past inform our worship. That's why we do things like invocation of the Lord's Prayer and the Creed. We think that's important. But to insist that our way is the way because this is the way we've always done it is is idolizing the past. It's letting that trump the Word of God. But see, it's not just a church at large thing. This happens to, to folks who've grown up in Christian homes. This is how it works. Someone says to you, hey, so, so why do you go to church? Why do you go to church? And if your answer is, because my parents did, you see how it's idolizing the past. You're, you're clinging on to the coattails of those who've gone before you instead of actually wrestling with what you believe and why. It's idolizing the past. And when that happens, instead of engaging the living God on our own, we end up with a, a watered-down faith. You miss out on on having to wrestle with why you believe what you believe. All right, so we've seen that when we find our identity, our worth, and purpose in the past, we turn it into an idol. And so how do we change that? How do we change that? Well, in the next few verses, uh, Jesus shows us. He shows us how the gospel transforms our identity, our worth, and purpose towards what God has called us to. So if you look with me at uh, his response to the woman's question about worship, verse 21, it says this, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. And so Jesus says, Okay, you want to talk about religion? We'll talk about religion. Let's go there. He says, So let let me show you how things are really going to be. 
He says, it's not going to matter where you worship the Father. I want you to think about how mind-blowing this would be for this woman. Think about this, that this 800-year-old divide between these two people groups, the Jews and the Samaritans, Jesus says it's going to be completely irrelevant. It's not going to matter where you worship. He says, this divide that we have is going to be washed away, and, and you're going to be able to worship the Father. He tells a Samaritan woman that she's going to worship the Father. Now, what does that do? That gives her an identity that establishes a relationship between her and God. And what is that relationship? Father and child. And so what he's saying to her is, is don't let your past dictate your identity. Let the future. Let the future. He says, you're a child of God. One day, you're going to worship God as father. He says, it's not about your race. It's not about your gender. It's not about your past. Your identity is based on what God says you are. And he says, you're his daughter. He says, you're his child. And so, friends, I don't know what uh, your past has told you your identity is. But I know what God has told you your identity is. That as he's poured out his grace in your life, that as Jesus went to the cross for you, that as, as you were baptized into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that God claimed you, that God gave you the identity as his child, that you're his son, that you're his daughter forever. That's what it is. And the day is coming when we'll fully realize that identity and join together in worship of our Father. And so we anticipate that day by living into that identity wherever we're placed right now. Jesus shows us how the gospel transforms our identity. He also shows us how it transforms our worth. Look with me at verse 23. Speaking to the woman, he says this, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father and spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Now let's think about this. Jesus is speaking to a woman who has spent her whole life seeking to be loved. She spent her whole life seeking to be accepted. And here Jesus turns the tables and he says, the Father is seeking after people. In other words, he's saying to her, the Father is seeking after you. The Father seeks people. The Father is seeking her and the Father seeks you. That the God who spoke everything we know and love into being, the God who, who carved the mountains and filled the oceans, the God of all history who raises up leaders and brings them down. The infinite God of an ever-expanding universe. This God is the one who's seeking after you. That's what Jesus says. Can we just marvel at that for a second? I mean, just think about it. Like, I, I am a being who spends most of his time figuring out what he's going to eat next. Right? Like Chick-fil-A, Whataburger, I don't know, Right? That's, that's what I spend my time thinking about. The God of the universe says that he's seeking after me. He's seeking after you to claim you as his own. And so what does that tell you about your worth? What does that tell you about your worth? Listen, if, if you believe in Jesus, you, you didn't figure it out on your own. It's because God sought after you. It's because God found you. It's because God pulled you out of the darkness, gave you his spirit that you might believe in him, that you might know him. 
God sought you out and claimed you as his own. What does that tell you about your worth? You're worth much more than whatever your past tells you. You're not the person who did that thing. You're not the guy that didn't make the cuts. You're not the woman who made that mistake. You're not the kid from that home. You're the one who God sought after and claimed as his own. You were worth Jesus going to the cross for. The gospel transforms our value. The gospel transforms our identity. And finally, the gospel transforms our purpose. Look with me at verses 25 through 26. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And so this woman says, hey, all right, this all sounds very good, Jesus. And I know one day the Messiah is going to come and things will get sorted out. And you just got to imagine, like, while Jesus talking, like, the smile creep across his face and be like, I who speak to you am he. Like, I'm here. Like, I'm the guy. I'm the one. You want to see your past transformed? Like, right now, it's happening through me. And we see how this woman responds to meeting the Messiah. Look with me at verse 28 and 9. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? We see here that this woman's past is transformed. That the gospel gives this woman a new purpose. Right? No, no longer does she live under the burden of her past where, where she can't be a part of her community, where she's ostracized, where she has to stay with a guy who won't commit to her. No, she's, she's done with all that. She can now begin to live a new life, taking part in the ultimate purpose, taking part in the mission of God. Taking part in the mission of God. So while we were on vacation, um, I got to meet with a good friend of mine uh, whose name's Tanner. Not this one. It's a different one. I mean, you're a good friend too. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> He uh, lives up in Wisconsin, and, uh, and he's, uh, he's actually, he's a, he's a poet. He's a spoken word artist, and, uh, and while I was up there, he and I were talking, and one of his videos, actually, that he recently made was, was released on, on the day that I was there, and he made this video with an organization called Triple uh, X Church, and uh, for those of you who, who don't know, Triple uh, X Church is a, a ministry uh, that specializes in ministering to people who are addicted to pornography. And, and so this video that my friend uh, Tanner made was uh, him reciting a poem that he wrote about himself, um, about his own past, about his own wrestles with pornography. And, uh, and uh, I watched the video, and it's really great. It's a powerful, awesome thing. And it's on my Facebook wall if you want to check it out. Um, and uh, I said, but I was talking to him. I said, Tanner, like, okay, let me get this straight. Like, you flew to Portland, which you did, to, to film this video with a bunch of people you didn't know, and you shared, like, an incredibly intimate and personal struggle. And then you said, hey, why don't you guys broadcast this video all over the internet for people to see? So, like, does that worry you at all? Like, the internet is a cruel place. Like, how can you be that vulnerable? And he said, "It's awesome. He said, Gabe, if this helps one person... Like, if this little video helps one person wrestling with this issue, then it'll all be 100% worth it. He said, I don't care what people are going to say in the comments. He said, I just want to help people. He said, I want my story to connect people to Jesus. And if it does that, then nothing else matters. You see, that's a guy whose past is transformed by the gospel. 
He's secure in his identity as a child of God. His worth is certain as one who's been sought after by that God. And his purpose is clear as he uses his transformed past to let the world experience the hope of Jesus. Man, like, don't you want that? Like, I want that for y'all. That's, that's my prayer for you. That instead of the, the burden of idolizing the past, you'd find rest in your identity as a child of God. That you'd find worth in the God who sought after you. And that you'd find your purpose as you pursue Jesus wherever he's called you. Y'all please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray for my friends. For those who are gathered here this morning to hear from your word. God, I pray your spirit would be at work in their lives. That those who are maybe haunted by their past, that those who are, are hung up in the past, that you would redeem that. That you'd point them to you. That they'd let go of some of those burdens, that they wouldn't be bogged down by that, but instead would find their identity and their worth and their purpose in you, Lord. Teach us to do that more and more. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.